Hi, it's Dr. Chelsea. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast, where we talk about mindset, motivation, and resilience in dance. And today I get to talk about all of that with a special guest. You may have seen him on social media lately. He is inspiring the dance world by documenting his return to dance. Miller DeRay is a former professional teen dancer who quit dance at 19, just when his career was really taking off. He has a new docu-series called Back to Great, where he explores returning to dance training three decades later and all that entails. We talk a lot about his message that it's never too late to go back to something you once loved. And he turned the tables on me a few times in this episode by asking questions that really made me think, which I love, of course. We talked about the mental toll of the new culture in LA of filming for social media at the end of class. Personally, I love watching those videos, but it's certainly interesting to explore the mental cost of participating in those videos in a space that's meant for learning. We also talked about our identity as a dancer, comparison and perfectionism, creating a safe class environment, and importantly, how you show up for yourself. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. I left inspired to return to a childhood love, which I'll share at the end, and I know Miller will inspire you too. Here's my conversation with Miller DeRay. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. Hi, Miller. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to talk to you. Hey, Chelsea. I am also excited as well, and I'm just honored that you invited me on the show and Let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. Will you share a little bit about your dance background? Tell us a little brief intro of your journey. Yeah, of course. Uh, I started uh, at 14. I don't know if that's considered early or late. Maybe for a boy, it's a little bit maybe kind of average. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I had always loved dancing, though, long before I was training. I remember being in talent shows in elementary school and choreographing my own routines and stuff like that, having no idea what I was doing, but it seemed to be that people thought I was good and I had rhythm. And uh, I never jumped into class until about 14, probably because I was maybe nervous of stereotypes and labels that boys, especially in the early 80s, probably were experiencing. And, yeah. uh, and then I just jumped into class. I was actually Uh, at a restaurant with my family and kind of grooving at the table and this family was nearby this is maybe a very la story and they (laughs) and they were like where do you take classes i'm like what and they said and i was like i don't take any classes and they said well you should because it looks like you do and that's how it started they recommended debbie reynolds studios which we all know is like super iconic and just what an amazing Uh, experience to have that be the first place I began training. And that's really when it started. And then my career, uh, by 16, I was doing TV and commercials, and it all kind of snowballed and won awards and booked jobs uh, after high school, had an agent, all of that. And then at the ripe old age of 19, I said, I think I want to focus on acting really more than dance. And I'm sure there's much more to the story, but that's basically it. And I just really cold turkey left dance. And, uh, and I've returned three decades later and here we are. Yes. Uh, I know it's like something not quite so subtle, but like, it just came back three days, three decades later. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, but that is why I originally found you because you started sharing your journey in this kind of back to dance and what this has been mm. like. And I, I resonated so much with it. Um, and so many of the things that you have to say that I had to reach out and check in. So, so much of what you say is immediately like inspiring, but then always made me so curious to want to ask you more. So, uh, Will you share a little bit about that return to dance journey, like why you came back and then why you decided to document it. And thank you for doing that. But that's a lot to be that vulnerable. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, I, 
I think just as a creative, I have, and as an actor and a screenwriter, there's always ideas, you know, I'm sure you as well, like everybody, like it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, I feel like maybe it's a very LA thing, but people are always talking about, oh my God, I have the best idea for a screenplay. Oh my God, this would be the best TV show ever. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. And I always was thinking of ideas. And one of them uh, decades ago was like, is it possible to return to something and be great again at that thing? And then I was like, oh, wow. And for me, that would be dance. And now ideas, they come and they go, but this one never left me. Mm. And at the around 40-ish, I was like, well, if I do this idea that has never left me, there must be a reason for it. It mm -hmm. maybe should be really any day now because it's dance. It's not like returning to playing the violin where, you know, it probably is not yeah. as physically taxing. So uh, that kind of inspired like a couple of years ago. I was like, okay, this is the time. It's all or nothing. Let's just jump in. And just being a creative and having been on YouTube really an early settler since like 2006, seven, mm. uh, the idea of creating my own project uh, and editing it and just being on camera and all of that felt very natural. And, uh, and I think that basically is it with the intention of inspiring others more than anything. Like I want to do this and my why, because this is a question I think it's important to ask is, you know, Absolutely. what is your why? And for me, it's about inspiring others. It's not too late to go back to something uh, and maybe even be great again. And even if you're not great again, who cares? Yeah. You know, it's about the love of the art and the passion. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. And I think we often are afraid to be beginners again, like just in mm. general in life. We're like, oh, I'm an adult. I don't want to learn something new because then I'm a beginner and I look silly or I, you know, will be judged for it. And I, like, I think returning to something you used to be good at is like a whole other level of being a beginner again. Um, so and, true. So well said. Yeah. What it takes to be okay with that. <laughs> like That's a lot. Mm -hmm. So it is inspiring that you're sharing it for sure. Uh, so will you, you share what's been different in training now compared to when you trained as a teenager? Like, I guess both, do you learn differently? Do you approach class differently than you did before? Um, and even specifically, like it's me, so it's the mental aspects. Are you more nervous? Are you more understanding of yourself, more reflective? What is your learning process like now? Oh my gosh, more nervous, way more nervous. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that might even just be an age thing. You know, it's interesting. I pride myself on being a spiritual person and being so chill in my life, and I handle you know, the trials and tribulations with ease. And I think my friends and family would agree, but in dance class, no, I don't know what happens. And it could be to your point, what you said earlier about, you know, beginning again and remembering the dancer I was. And uh, I'm sure there are many elements to it. Uh, I don't, it's hard to tap into my teenage brain because it was so long ago. I do yeah. not remember the struggle that I am currently experiencing. Yeah, uh, I don't remember, you know, picking up choreography being complicated. Now, of course, things have changed so much. So, you know, would my teenage self be able to pick up choreography as it is today? As I often talk about in my project, choreography now is uh, taught much, much quicker. Mm -hmm. It's much more dense. There's far more movement and less counts. Uh, there is also so many more counts of eight than I remember being mm -hmm. uh, and so there's, yeah, there are just many variables, I am sure. Uh, you know, I remember being always needing to be in front in dance class to learn the choreography. That has not changed. Okay. I for sure am still that dancer. I got to be, I always, I got to be like almost on top of the teacher. I have to see all of them to like really like take in the choreography. Yeah, I'm not sure if that answers. No, like, it absolutely does. Thing. And I think the the learning part and trying to think about your teenage brain is interesting because it could be like you said, it probably is both that the world has changed so much in mm. choreography and how we teach class, how we go about class is different. But then also, I think we're just not aware, like 16 year old you was just not processing and worried about stuff. You're just like, all right, yeah. I'm in class. And then now like our adult brains just look at the world so differently. Yes. And there's so many new obvious uh just changes to the classroom, you know, just cameras being one example. So that wouldn't have been a thing for my teenage self, that that stress yeah. of having whatever I'm doing pop up on social media, maybe or whatever, or 
being performance ready, you know, in 40 minutes in class shutting down to, you know, being on camera. Yeah. I do remember being, and this might be, <laughs> I don't know, vulnerable to admit, but I always remember being competitive with other male dancers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, pro- and I'm, I don't know, I mean, do you remember your dance yourself? Like, were you competitive with like other females in class? Sure, and- with specific ones, yes. There's always, yeah. you know, the few that you're like, oh, I have the ones who are better at the thing that I'm most self-conscious about. Mm, yes. You know? And I think I'm definitely better at that now because I know that we all have a place, we all have a path and there's nobody who is, and that comes with age, with maturation, with wisdom. Uh, and so I'm definitely better, but I'm not going to lie. Like I still, you know, for sure, like I see dancers who are picking up choreography fast and maybe they're like, without exaggeration, a third of my age, Yeah, you know? And then I'm like, wait, Miller, you got to put this into perspective here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. But that ability is huge. Like you said, I think it does come with maturation and how many, Mm. you know, teenagers comparison is like the biggest mental roadblock in their dance journey. And to even at least be able to acknowledge like, nope, there's comparison. I don't need to do that. Check back with where I am. Like, I think that shows a lot of growth and what I wish teenagers would be able to do now that it's just so hard. It really is. Yeah. Are you aware of what you do to stop comparing? Is it just that like reminding yourself of like, no, this is my journey? Yeah, it is is sort of like this is just unimportant. I mean, let's look at like, yeah. you know, the big the big picture here and I just kind of tap into uh this may sound corny, but like the universe and whatnot, even in dance class, if I'm feeling like nervous before I might be on camera, I just check in with the reality of the situation. Okay. It's just dance class. It's like not the biggest thing in the whole world, even though in the moment it kind of feels like it, but I constantly, even with my spiritual work, I'm constantly reminding myself I, I, and I check in with myself. Okay. This, this is not a big deal. And then I'm just, and remembering to breathe through it that's the most important thing too because it's just breathing sounds so simple but it's not like remembering to breathe when the stakes feel like they're high and and that's the thing too reminding myself they just feel like they're high they're not right (laughs) it's not a big deal and uh yeah yeah oh i agree and such good like mental skills techniques that you've just found in yourself that work um breathing Mm -hmm. is huge it's simple to say to do. It's actually not always simple to do. <laughs> Make yourself yes. slow down and really do the deep breaths. And then being more present in what's actually going on is another really great skill that you're saying of like, where am I actually? <laughs> what are the real, what's the real scenario right now? Um, what, what do you think? I'm curious. Like, uh, I think sometimes the hardest thing is to remind ourselves, like in the moment or not even remind to remember yeah. to do the thing you know, remember to breathe. So what do you, do you have any like tips and tricks for that? Cause that can be really tricky in the moment. Oh, it's so hard in the moment. And I think it's something that you practice at lower stakes. Mm. And then the more you do it, the more you'll remember it when it's higher stakes. But yes. I think the problem with these mental skills is we're like, okay, I'm going to, you know, do this breath work. And then we wait to try it until they're like ready to film class. It's like, no, try it when you have something small that's not even about dance, you know, that you have to send an email that makes you a little nervous to send. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. do some deep breaths and then go do the, you know, just slowing it down, practicing when it's not actually a big deal Mm -hmm. so that you get, it becomes more automatic of like, this is what I do when I feel my body start to panic is Mm -hmm. I go to the breath and that will start to happen. Even if you're not mentally like, oh, calm down. I need to remember to breathe that you just start Mm -hmm. to do it. But like we wait for the big thing rather than practicing it when it's smaller. Yep. And I think it's repetition too, like more than anything. I mean, I had a moment in class early last year in my, in my journey where I really felt like the result of it was PTSD. Like I was doing really, really well. And so much so that when we were in groups, there are, there were dancers pushing me to the front saying Mm -hmm. like, I need to watch you in the choreographer yeah. like placing me like in the front and i felt i did not feel nervous i felt very confident and then the choreographer was filming and and literally almost immediately the choreography once we you know five six seven eight it just went away it like yeah. evaporated i could not get it back 
which is very interesting because some people will say like, don't walk off the floor, you got to push through. But sometimes it really does go right. and you can't get it back. And then you're like, am I going to you know, be an in, like, injurious to others? Mm -hmm. So I had to walk off the floor. And that moment for me was very scary yeah. later. It was confusing in the moment. And then it was scary later. And I think I had some PTSD. And the only way I've learned to like combat that is just to show up. Yep. Just to keep going back. You know, they say like, you know, God forbid you're like in a, a plane crash, but everybody's okay. You should get on a plane immediately because you, you never will again. And same thing with maybe whatever it is. And for me, that's how that's true with the dance class. Just got to keep showing up and, and it's the repetition. Yeah, that's great advice. I think it is when you something scary happens, you know, that the old adage of like, if you fall off the horse, you get back up. And it's yep. like, you know, it's that same idea that you have to, get back into it. And if you can't yet jump back to being filmed, but you can get back to class, like you said, just show up and like do that. Even if it's a smaller version, do the thing. Um, Cause the more you hold back from it, the more you spiral over how scary it is. And uh, which I think actually leads to what I wanted to dig, dig into a little bit. Maybe we already went there <laughs> about uh -huh. okay. perfectionism mm. that it's, I think it just haunts most dancers. <laughs> like mm. we, I know I struggled with it a lot. So many of the dancers I talked to, there's that need to be perfect, even if it's class. But then again, you add the camera to class and that's a whole other level. And then on stage in general, competitions, performances, auditions that like, if I can't do it perfect, I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess first, would you call yourself a perfectionist? Does that resonate with you? It does. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta admit, maybe it's, I mean, we're, we're recording this in Virgo season and I happen to be a Virgo and that happens to be one of the traits apparently of a Virgo. So I definitely, <laughs> I, I relate to being a perfectionist. Yeah. Yeah. How does that show up for you as a dancer? It's funny because now that I'm older and wiser and all that, I do think I care less. It shows up for me mostly when less in rehearsal mode in learning the combination uh, when we're at the point of being in groups and then most especially, yeah, when that camera shows up in the room, I, I become a little bit of a crazy person, I guess. Like, <laughs> uh, but here's the thing. I don't even know if maybe perfectionism is part of it, but I feel like it, there's this fear for me too of just forgetting the choreography. And so do you think that's an, that that's an element of being a perfectionist? Oh, sure, because yeah. I think that's perfectionism at its core is a fear of failure. Mm. Like I think that's what it is, and so that fear base is a a big part of it. And being able to understand that that's really what it is. It's like it's not that you have to be perfect; it's that you're afraid to not be perfect. And it's so funny too, because intellectually I'm so aware as we all are probably right, that there's no such thing as being perfect. Uh -huh. And I have seen choreography live on dancers in one class so differently and look so freaking great. You know, someone is going, you know, so kind of smooth and chill in the movement. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even see the choreography in my head like that. That looks amazing. Oh my God, that person right there, they're like, super just energetic and hype and like big about it. And it looks really great. So yeah. there, there's no perfect, it's just different, different styles, different interpretation of movement. Uh, and yet somehow I, isn't it, it's an interesting thing how we can be like intellectually aware of something and yet living it is a different mm -hmm. experience completely. Yeah, it is. And I think the, the first step to dealing with that is that awareness of like, mm. I know better. And then here I am in class, letting that come up. And like, mm. I don't want to be that dancer. Like going back, you said earlier, like your why is so important. And which of course I love. And then also like, that's your identity. Like, I don't want to be the dancer that holds back or is too scared or, you know, doesn't give my all. Like I, you know, if you pride yourself in being a dancer, that's going to give full effort in class, then it's the awareness of like, oh, there's that thought. That's not helping me right now. That's not who I want to be. Mm -hmm. um, but the awareness is is the first battle of just knowing that that's what's yeah. happening. Yeah, it's true. And I've had these very moment these moments that feel very intimidating and really kind of I don't uh, maybe not scary, but maybe embarrassing a little bit. Where mm -hmm. I'm in a class and I'm and I'm learning the combination, and I have like the first three eights, like pretty darn good. 
but there's 18 eights. Right. And, and it's in the, maybe in a certain class that is just moving quickly. And I don't have the rest of it. Like I may have a slight idea like where it's moving. Okay. Over here, it's going a little bit to the right. This is now we're going a little bit down, but I'm, in, you know, maybe I'm lost. So then is it perfectionistic if, I decide to sit out of being in groups because the majority of the combination I really do not know, mm-hmm. or do I get up there and just kind of stick it through? And I don't want to say make a fool out of myself because it's nobody else's class. It's my class, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's it's all of our classes, but I got to show up for me in my class. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, Yes, I do. I think it, there's not an easy answer. It's that yeah. fine line of like, because it is class, that's the time to try and to get through the first three eights and then feel the block and you end up like marking through it, seeing people like trying to get it back because like you said, it's your class. And if you don't get through the whole thing, that's okay. But also if you have this, you know, past experience where that is so like triggering to like, all of a sudden mm. I don't know the choreography getting like forcing yourself to do it. You may not be there yet. And that's okay. Like that stepping aside is the safe thing in the moment. Um, If I guess here's the caveat, like if you can still be nice to yourself on the side, like if Mm. going to the side is still like, okay, I got the first dates, first few weights, you know, next time I'm going to keep going to make sure I get, you know, five or six of them. I'm making progress. Mm -hmm. I'm coming back. I'm just not ready yet. But if you go to the side and you're like, Oh God, I suck at this. Why I should have more than that. Like then it's you're avoiding. That. Yeah, it's that self-talk in class. Yeah. And to yeah. me also, like I put up a video recently on my Instagram where I was kind of talking about this and how in this one class, this is rare for me for anybody listening, but early on in my journey, there were some classes that were just, you know, came that were very, very tough. And I chose to to leave, to walk out um, if it just wasn't serving me. And then I had yeah. to be okay with that. And mm-hmm. then some people left comments, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool to get feedback from the dance community. And some people saying like, wow, that's just so mature of you to walk out that, that, that is the definition of self-love, you know, what you need in a class and what works for you. And, mm-hmm. and you had to do what was right for you and honor that in the moment. And then other people are like, you just got to stick with it. You got to push through and I think there's probably a time and place for both. And maybe it is just a moment to moment, class by class yeah. uh, experience. I think so too. And I think that there's also a difference between class where that is its entirety of its purpose. And then if you were like learning choreography for a job, like you're mm. clearly not going to walk out, you're going to figure it out. And like, that's more where like the, the dancer perseverance mind comes of, you know, it the show must go on kind of mentality, but then class is still class. And like, that's when you're allowed to mess up. And if you are reflecting on why, if you figure out like, okay, why did I not pick it up today? Or why did I make that mistake? Or why didn't I have full focus today? As long as you're learning from that, you're good. See, it's funny that you said that about like the difference between class and the job, because I feel like the classes where maybe I may have been unkind to myself or I did walk out felt a little bit like a job because they do shut down in these particular instances, class did shut down early. I was told, you know, we're going to film today. So, you know, that is to be expected. And there is this element of it feeling like a set. It really does. And that's a very interesting thing too. Obviously that was not a thing, you know, way back in the day either. And I was thinking the other day, uh, yeah, I'm always trying to psychoanalyze just myself in the class and all of it. And because I disappeared from dance for so long, the return having it be so jarring in regard to cameras for me is really like a night and day. It's a 180. It's a true shock. I think even dancers older than myself, and I'm in my late 40s, who have been dancing all along, maybe they weren't in class hardcore training, but you know, they came and they went and they experienced, mm-hmm. they got to be part of the introduction of cell phones in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. where maybe a teacher with really grainy quality would like film it once from the back. And then they got to be uh, yeah. experienced smartphones and then social media and that gradual incremental change in class. And so maybe if you're a dancer growing up in this world or just having never left, I don't, the, the change was probably 
so slow, it kind of almost feels somewhat maybe normal now to them. And to me, in my brain, it truly was like a hundred percent night day experience. I know. I think that's actually a really astute understanding that it felt like a job because in your past dance experience, that is what a job does, mm. that you have a more professional video production happening. And so, and since you've lived that, you're like, no, that's not what this is supposed to be. And that disconnect is hard when you haven't done oh my it. God. So much. I mean, sometimes I'll say, you know, you know, being performance ready in 40 minutes, then people will kind of, you know, laugh. Oh, that's funny. Performance ready. But in my brain, that's not funny because yeah. What I know about being on camera as both a dancer and actor is always and only when you're performance ready. Yeah. It's not when you've learned the choreography 40 minutes ago. You know, so for people who are used to this like on camera, this in-class mentality of that, uh, they don't think of performance ready in the way that I do. Like when I go to an audition as an actor, for example, in the audition room, I am performance ready. You know, I've worked on the material enough to be confident that opportunity does not happen in dance class. And so I really have to really, and it's still a journey and I've gotten much better, just let go, yeah. like really let go and have a different standard for myself. Yeah. Do you, I don't know that either one of us can answer this because we didn't grow up with it. But like, do you think this new getting performance ready quickly style of class is helping the current generation of dancers be more prepared to go have jobs or do you think it's hurting them because it hurts their ability to take class? I'm sure it's uh, an amalgamation of things, probably pros and cons. I can see yeah. why it's an asset. I can see why it is a hindrance. I think it's both. Yeah, same. I was just in my head. I was like, in yeah. some ways, okay, yeah. Now when I get a job, I, I'm more familiar with that process. But then mm -hmm. if you can't tr truly let go and just be in class, I think that's a disservice to an athlete yeah. as well. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And just knowing that you have that safe place to mess up because we only really get better, obviously, when we can, when we just screw up and if we're not given the opportunity because that perfectionistic thing is built in because you know, you're going to be filmed soon. Like, are you kind of almost plateauing because you don't feel free to be really bad? Like you should be okay with being really bad, but how yeah. can you be when there's a camera on you in two minutes? Absolutely. Oh, that's something I preach to dancers all the time and mm. coaches and teachers that like you have to create an environment where the dancers feel safe to, to mess up and to learn. And it has to be a part of the environment that that feels okay to mess up. Yes. I love that. And the feeling safe and the actions over words. I mean, I have been in classes where the teacher will start by saying, this is a very safe environment. This is a place of love. And then 40 minutes later, you, you're not you're not dancing for 20 minutes because they're calling out groups and I'm off to the side thinking, well, this doesn't feel very loving to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's the teacher really understanding like what, you know, not just saying it's a safe place, but providing through their action and making it safe. Yep. Oh, I so agree. There's times where like we're learning the words, we're getting the language around a lot of this. And so people are parroting back the language. But if your behavior doesn't match that, then you haven't truly learned it and integrated it. Uh, mm. That's powerful for them to figure, for a teacher to think about their actions. And like, if you say this is a safe place, is it really? And are you ensuring that for your dancers? Yes. And defining, because maybe for that teacher in the example I just gave, maybe they thought they were providing a safe place because yeah. in their mind, X, Y, and Z means safe. Right. Uh, and then it becomes a conversation, I guess, well, what is safe, you know, according to, you know, the general population of dancers. Right. Yeah. Oh, very true. And, and being clear about what that means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to shift a little bit to talk about uh, identity because it's, I, I'm just excited to share with somebody else who had like one identity a long time ago and that might've changed because that's how I feel. <laughs> and there's not mm. a lot of us who've kind of tried to do that. Um, but because I am someone who identified as a dancer, you know, I was like, I did the pro thing. I had the dancer. And then when I retired, I was like, okay, I'm no longer a dancer. And I had to like shift that identity and letting go of that was really hard. Like I guess for myself, I went through this roller coaster of like, I'm a dancer. I'm not, but then if I'm not, what am I? And, uh, so I guess I'm just curious about your perspective. If, have you always identified as an, as a dancer? Is that like an important part 
has it shifted? It's interesting. So to throw back to you for a second, if I may, when, yeah. when you say it, when, when, when you say it shifted for you and it was like really hard, like what does that mean? Because I'm sure you would agree that you are always a dancer. So when when you say that, do you mean just like in like for career purposes, yeah. something that you are pursuing that dance is now no longer a thing? I think that's actually it. When you say that we understand it's you are always a dancer. I didn't. And I think when I originally left the professional ballet world, I was like, okay, if I'm no longer on stage, I'm no longer being, you know, in that role, then I'm not a dancer. And that I think exactly is why the identity shift was so hard because it was, it's such a huge part of your life. I'm like, this is, it's not all I am, but you know, 19 year old me felt like this is all I am. And if that's gone, I have this like gaping hole. And then part of the roller coaster of coming back to like, okay, but I'm actually just because I'm not on stage doesn't mean I don't have that dancer part of me still. But mm-hmm. I, I guess I didn't know that at 19. Interesting. Do you, so for you, you feel like you always knew it and it wasn't such the transition for you? Yeah, I think for me, it's less about maybe what I'm pursuing, what is paying the bills and just what I am at my core. Like even just for example, yeah. as an actor, like I didn't there, I didn't pay my bills as an actor really that much, but I always mm-hmm. called myself an actor. I am an actor, uh, whether or not I was working as an actor or even in class, like I'm an actor. And same thing mm-hmm. with dance. I think it was just always part of me. And I always identified as a dancer to a degree. Like I understood that was part of me, but I probably didn't introduce myself as a dancer to anybody ever in my entire life until this return to dance journey. All of a sudden I have almost like maybe relabeled or re-identified myself maybe now. Yeah. And, and I, I'm even call. I guess maybe because I'm putting all my eggs in this dance basket and it's just like super important to me and uh, I'm just kind of going all in. So now I very much ironically maybe identify as a dancer more than I ever have. Oh, I like that. And I think now that I love that you turn this on me because now I'm being reflective and I have to share back mm. to that. Like I, I think identity when we are younger is more based on outcome or like physical demographic kind of stuff. Like you just identify with what everybody else sees. Yes. And then as we get older now, like if I were to tell you my value, like I have clear values that are actually more about my identity now. Um, that it's not about being a dancer. If one of my values is being a learner, then that's who I am. And mm. like, that says more about who I am than the fact that I'm on stage or not. <laughs> like, on, yes, I love that. But, huh. Okay, well, thank you for turning it on me and making me think through that. That's interesting to think about. <laughs> I talk about identity and values all the time, but I hadn't really thought about that from 19-year-old me. Okay. Um, so cool. One other thing when I was looking through your Instagram that really connected with me was talking about routines and how much your like daily routines were important in your life. And they're important to me, but it's not something I found until later as well. And it was, I love listening to other people's routines and like what works for them. And I just think they're really fun. Um, So you seem to really have a lot of routines that really work for you. And then you've also shared like every once in a while, okay, I'm out of routine. This doesn't work now. So um, do you like your routines? Like how do they serve you that they're so that you stick with them so much? Well, you know, it's the, the whole interesting thing, right, about social media and image and how much is really true when you're watching people's things. And yeah. if I'm posting, like, I'm going to bed early uh, and, I post, and, I, and I posted that a couple of times, you know, am I really going to bed early, like, all the time? Because uh, right. we tend to post when things are, I don't know, better or we're more productive or something. Yeah. Um, that's just an interesting maybe sidebar just on the whole like social media thing, because you're right. I definitely have routine and it's, uh, it's, it's crucial. I think for, for mental health to have, um, stability and discipline in, in that way, whether it is, it is sleep, uh, which is like arguably the most important of all the things more important than, you know, Mm -hmm. diet, exercise, all of that. If you don't get good sleep and you don't honor it, then, you're not in a good way for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's just, high, it's really important to me. I don't stick with it like all the time and not just, I mean, not just, I'm pretty good with sleep though, but I just mean in general, like yeah. I, I definitely slip here and there. And I think that's just human to admit. Yeah. Uh, I'm much, much better when I have routine. Like right now uh, I have been meditating 
very early in the morning, like right after I get up, I go outside and it's still dark out. This morning there was a full moon. It was super cool. Mm. And uh, I love that. And so these guided meditations, this is part of my routine and, uh, and having structure in my day, I just feel like makes me the most uh, productive and just happy and, uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers it exactly, but that's... No, it totally does. And I appreciate your honesty. And I think maybe that's why I resonated with the routines on social media is because we do, right, we share when we're things are going well and mm-hmm. sometimes being vulnerable about when we have those bad days. But I also will talk about my own routines, how valuable they are. You know, I put my professor hat on. I'm like, there's so much research to routines, but then I'm certainly not perfect at them myself, you know, and yeah. I if I get out of a routine, sometimes it's really hard to get back to it. And even though kind of like we said earlier, intellectually, I know it helps me. I know I feel better when I do it. And yet getting back to it is really hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, So maybe that was like the selfish question in me for you is like, as someone who also knows your routine serve you, Mm -hmm. when you do fall away from it, do you have ways that like help you get back to it or help you kind of reset? It's just understanding, I think, where maybe you are feeling off and why you are off. And uh, for me, it is, uh, it's, I always have some sort of a self-help, self-development book uh, that I'm listening to and reading a physical copy of, depending, uh, and just taking in all of those positive things when I feel a little bit out of alignment, because like Jen Sincero, who wrote You Are a Badass. And yeah. I love her and love that uh, she, yes, and she often talks about going to the spiritual gym, which is very true. We don't think about that. I mean, there are some people who think like, oh, you know, you've read a couple books about, you know, I don't know, meditation or uh, abundance mindset or something, and then oh, you should be good, but that's not how it works. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, you are aware that it's just like going to the actual gym, you don't just like work on your biceps and then like how your biceps look and think, cool, I'm good now. I don't got to go back. Uh, So I think of it as like the spiritual gym. And as long as I have some uh, aspect of that happening in my life at at any particular time, uh, you know, I'm I'm good to go. And just trying to keep it uh, in forward. I think repetition and keeping a streak alive is like really, really helpful. And, you know, they say I've heard so much debate and conflicting science on how long it takes to, you know, 21 days to a habit. I've heard all that kind of stuff debunked, but I will say like just with my Instagram, for example, I have posted every single day since I went public on my account, which was in mid-March. I have not missed a day. That is a streak. And that is meaning like, oh my God, that just feels important, right? I don't want to break the streak. And there's something about that and that momentum uh, that allows me just even in that one capacity, Instagram, whatever, mm-hmm. but it makes me honestly show up every day to it. That's true. Oh, I like the streak sense of it because that's part of it. And then if you do have something happen where you break a streak and I had the same thing, like I haven't missed a podcast week in like, like this is episode 120 something. And I hadn't missed one when I got to like 110, and then I had to record and I completely lost my voice. Like I had absolutely nothing. I had to cancel my lectures for university. Like there was nothing. And I was so upset at first of like, no, but I'm going to miss a week. And, you know, mad at myself for not being ahead and all the things. And then sometimes had to have kind of the human conversation of like, you know what? It happens. I'm just going to tell my audience that this is what happened and I'll be back and start the streak again. Um, that exactly. And you still though showed up though. Yeah. You still showed up. I mean, it's not your fault that your voice went. It wasn't like you're like, you know what? I don't I feel, feel like it. it today. I'll just yeah. binge this new show on Netflix. That's not <laughs> what happened. You showed up and uh, you know, you couldn't do it. And so the, you know, the um, what is the word? Your your incentive, your uh mm-hmm. it, that that was all there. Yeah. That's true. And I think the I like what you're saying too about routines that it's this, the spiritual gym, like going back to it and knowing that like once you get in a good rhythm or once you've learned something that you've incorporated, you have to keep coming back to it and returning to it. It's just good, good general advice. And I think people in the, especially mindset stuff like, oh yeah, I read this great book. I got this great idea. It like, you know, I learned something, I'm going to use that. But if you don't return to it, it won't 
It won't stick with you. Yeah. Yep. And you got to follow through on, I think there's some uh, quote about, you know, people who go to, you know, seminars and they, you know, learn so much and everybody leaves like super excited. I'm going to implement all the things. It's so great, but less than 5% ever do it. They were all equally like pumped up, right. but you know, less than 5% do it. So I think you have to uh, find what works for you to stay on point. For a lot of people, it's accountability, uh, accountability partners, you know, mm -hmm. there's I'm sure long lists of all the things that we can do to make ourselves show up to ourselves. And it's so funny because yeah. we all, want, I think, somewhere deep down to, you know, to be great. And yet we are our own worst enemies. We stand in our own way. Yeah. Uh, so it's figuring out, finding out, feeling out what works for you to get to that place. That's very true. Being able to put aside the time to read the books, go to the conferences, listen to that, like that's one piece. But if you don't do anything with it, like yeah. then, then what? Because you can be a chronic a person who just lives in this world of just reading books and mm -hmm. listening to TED talks and going, but not doing the work. So yeah. you have to really, you gotta, you gotta self monitor. Yeah. Do you have a method that helps you? You said you always are reading something. Is there, do you have a process for like, what's my tidbit from this book and how am I going to use it? Uh, I think it just, yeah, it just like depends on the book and what that book is, what that book is about. So like right now, one of the books I'm reading is, uh, anatomy of the spirit, which mm -hmm. has to do with uh, both the physical self and the spiritual self and how to heal your mind and body. Uh, so like this book has a lot of different exercises, breathing and whatnot. So I'm currently, you know, that's, this is one of the books I can't really listen to, like on a mm -hmm. hike or in, in the car, because I can't do the work, uh, you know, at the same time. So I pick and choose, you know, the books where I know I can do the exercises simultaneously. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Like actually trying it. I think that happens in a lot of books where you're like, okay, cool. I'll go back and try that later. But you don't. And you don't. That's the problem is, is, is you don't. And that's what so, sometimes, how frustrating is it sometimes right. to be like listening to an audible and now there are these exercises and I'm like, oh darn it. This was the book that I was, and I won't just like skip to the next chapter. Like somehow I feel I'm doing a tremendous disservice to the author and, you know, their process, if I just say, you know what, I'll skip the exercise, I'll just keep going. No, I need to do the exercise. It's like super important to me. Yeah. Well, that says a lot about who you are too, that you're committed to that mm. personal growth and the journey of it and know that it's so helpful to you. Are you like reading, like what's, what's your process with that stuff? Oh, I like, read all the things, all the time. All the things. Like, what does that um, mean? Like, I read, so I always have at least, I usually have three things going at once, one fiction, one nonfiction, and one um, audible something that's mm -hmm. usually uh, like, comp what's the word? Like, uh, I don't have to be present, mindless, like cheesy story, rom-com, true crime, mm -hmm. something <laughs> that's like so when I need the to shut audible down. is like, so, so the audible is mindless, you're saying? My, uh, yeah, when I listen okay. to stuff, um, that are not podcasts. When I listen to like a story, yes. I like my mindless checkout. Um, gotcha. But then, yeah, I'm always reading some sort of nonfiction, right? There's always some, like you said, the self-help or in my world, some something research-based too, that's um, taking the academic world and trying to implement it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think my process, I do a lot of annotating as I'm actually reading. I have to have a physical book. I have to you know, flag it and do all of that. And then, um, at the end of every chapter, I'll write a short, like summary in my words, right. Of like, okay, this is what that I got from this. Awesome. This is such the professor in me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, so I was like, that's dedication. Taking, yeah. Taking, but it's usually just, you know, a few sentences, but like at the end mm. of it being like, okay, what about this mattered? Or what about this mm you know, do I want to try or hold on to, or, um, kind of the take home message. So I have, I mean, on my shelf behind me, I have like bazillion notebooks <laughs> of just mm -hmm. like the different books. Um, cause sometimes it'll be, you know, at this point in my life, it's years later and I'm like, mm -hmm. what was that one? There was a confidence thing somewhere. What was that? And having like a short thing to go back to helps mm -hmm. me find it. Um, and there's that neurological benefit of like yeah. hand to paper. That's yes. just like, that it's just amazing. I firmly believe in that too. And just like, I, yes, science, but then also I've just felt it so much if I pause mm -hmm. and, and write it down. And then 
um, sometimes I will actually put stuff in my calendar. Like I like a calendar, my to-do list. So sometimes I'll actually put something in there. That's like, if there's something specific I wanted to try, like I learned an exercise that I want to write a podcast episode about, I'll like time block it for like, okay, next Friday I have a chance. I want to write, you know, the episode about this new thing that I've learned. Um, Mm -hmm. so like actually putting it down of like, this is going to (laughs) happen. Um, yes, but it's hard in the calendar. That's just, and maybe like for me also like setting an alarm on my phone, Yeah, you know, just to remember to do something. Cause it's obviously easy to forget. Totally easy. Yes. Um, okay. Before we leave, I wanted to ask if you had any just advice or, um, you know, tidbits for people who are thinking about either training and dance later in life or just more broadly, like choosing to return to an old dream, an old part of you that you've haven't been there for a while? Well, I mean, I would just say you just got to jump in and do it. You know, I mean, if, if there, if there is a voice somewhere in the back of your head, even if it's just little, but you hear it and you're, you're, Oh, kind of considering going back to a, a past love, you know, a past passion uh, to jump in. Like there's a reason, there's a reason that that is happening is like, you know, all that I will say, especially if it's from your childhood, you know, there's so yeah. much research. I'm sure you're, you must know even better than, than I do, but there's so much research about like listening to songs from your youth and mm-hmm. doing things maybe like roller skating that you did when you were a kid and just like all the feels that it gives you yeah. and the kind of, you know, the serotonin and all of it. So uh, just even that alone, like for me with dance, like wow, like the first time I almost makes me emotional right now thinking about it. But like my first dance class back and doing the warm up, I was like, Oh, my God, (laughs) like, this really does feel like home. This is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. This is just like me doing a little like neck roll thing. And wow, it feels so great. So uh, for anybody who is thinking about and maybe if you're not thinking about going back to something that you once loved, maybe this is uh, something you're listening to, to inspire you to maybe think about doing so because I think you'll be better, you know, you'll be better for doing it. I appreciate you saying that. That's very true. If you loved something as a child, usually it's not as like encumbered by the real world. Like you Mm. loved it because it was intrinsic. It was a Mm. natural part of what you loved before the rest of the world told you what you were supposed to be like or should do. And allowing that to bubble up and come back is really powerful. And then Mm -hmm. not being afraid to be a beginner again and just going for it. Is there anything aside from dance that you did when you were younger that you haven't really attempted in decades and (sighs) miss a little bit that you might want to go back to? You're having fun turning this on me. I appreciate it. Okay. (laughs) I like it. It's good. Let me, I, what have I loved that was not dance related that I haven't done? Um, I don't know. This is hard. That's hard. I want to sit and think about Mm. it. I, Going with my like my gut reflection, the thing that came to mind first was time outside. Um, Ooh, okay. I I live in Boulder, Colorado, so mountains. I spent a, a lot of time as a kid because my parents valued it too. On just like go on a hike for an hour, you know, be outside camping. Um, and I think this current phase of busy, 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 achieve, do all the things. I I don't go back to that. And so maybe it's not necessarily to achieve, although, you know, little things of like, I live with, I don't know how many 14 years are in my driving distance and I have, I've never done one. And how, being able I, I missed to that word. Like, how, um, how, how many, what is um, 14 years, how many, like 14,000, you know, the peak. Um, oh, I haven't, I've never heard that expression climb. before. Okay. Yeah. So sorry. It's such a Colorado thing for me to say. But like, <laughs> it's like the literal top of the mountain. Right. Wow. And, um, they're hard to do physically, uh, mm. but it's something that I think younger me just loved. I love nature. That's still true. You know, just walking outside and being around in that. And I maybe should return to that or take on a, a goal. Now you're making me think about the goals. I'm such an achievement mm. person too. It has to be a goal. I'm not good at just like go on more walks. I'm like, go on a walk. Why? <laughs> like, what am I doing? Well, with maybe it? this is, uh, you know, maybe a time to not think about maybe the why so much and just to just yeah. do it to experience it. If it, that was the, th- the first thing that popped into your head, I feel like that is, is very telling. Yeah, you're right. And I think that says a lot about what, why you're 
decision to like document and share your journey is so powerful because it's letting people be like, you can go back to something that you haven't been at and just do it and have fun with it. So thank you for sharing that and being so open with it. You are inspiring so many. Will you share before we leave where to find you so people can listen more about your journey? Of course. And thank you for saying all of that. Uh, So back to great is my handle, all one word, back to great. Uh, Everywhere, all the places, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok is mostly where I am. And YouTube, just for some people know, that's where you would experience my journey in sort of long form, uh, episodic. Uh, You really can appreciate the struggle the story. Uh, Instagram and TikTok is short form, obviously it's clips. And yet somehow though, especially with Instagram, I've been able to really, and and in ways I never even imagined I would or could, I've been able to get the story across like pretty okay. But if you really want the chronological, Mm -hmm. then you got to go to YouTube. And I think hopefully I'm serving uh, people in all the places in different ways. Yeah, I think you absolutely are. Uh, so thank you so much Miller I really appreciate your time today and sharing with us of course thank you it was so fun I appreciate you thank you it was really fun dance coaches and teachers. If you are a dance educator, it's important to make sure you are on my email list. It's only for educators. It's where I keep you all updated on my mental skills workshops, the Releve membership, and even some special trainings coming up that are only available inside the membership. My email list is where I provide extra resources for dance educators and tips to help you and support you through this teaching journey. If you're listening and you're a coach or a studio teacher, and you think you might ever want to learn more about helping your dancers with their mindset, building their resilience, and motivating them, please join my list to make sure you get the inside scoop. So here's how to get on. You go to chelseaparati.com slash email and sign up. There's a link in the show notes to the episode as well. And again, that's where I'll announce special opportunities like the one coming up soon that's only available inside Releve. But mostly it's where I provide more support and resources to help you with your dancers. So go join in at chelseaparati.com slash email and let's work together and make a more positive impact on our dance industry.